0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. If you have not yet found the podcast on a regular basis, you can find it on every major podcast distributor. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. I have the wonderful privilege to be here with Lynn Houston. Lynn was born in Ohio and was raised in Western Pennsylvania. Raised in a single parent household from the age of eight, he was heavily influenced by his grandmother, who grew up during the Great Depression. Following the bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut, Lebanon, in October of 1983, Lennon enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in June of 1984 as part of the delayed entry program. In June 1985, he attended boot camp at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in Parris Island, South Carolina, and attending multiple MOS or Military Occupational Specialty Schools before entering the Fleet Marine Force in May 1986 with the 3rd Marine Expeditionary Force on Okinawa, Japan. Len served 21 years across multiple duty stations until he retired from the United States Marine Corps in 2006. Since retirement, he has worked in leadership management positions across four companies where he currently works in support of the Marine Corps. Len has also been married to his wife for nearly 36 years, and they have two adult sons and a grandchild. Well, welcome, Len. So glad to have you on the show today. Thank you, Keith. I'm glad to be here. Well, you referenced the Beirut bombing. In 1983, I was only four years old when the Beirut bombing happened, so I don't remember it, but I've read a lot about it in my studies in Middle Eastern studies. Now, it was obviously a major impact in your life because it changed the course of your life. Now, why was it the Marine Corps that you decided to choose of all the military branches when you joined the service?
1: Well, Keith, you know, as a, as a young boy growing up, I was uh, fascinated with military life, military in general. I uh, read many books, and it led me down that path that I wanted to serve my country. Obviously, I had many family members who had served during many conflicts, and I just felt like it was my duty. And when I looked across the full spectrum of what the country had to offer as far as military service, I decided I wanted to, the largest challenge that was out there. And uh, the Marine Corps resonated with me. The Beirut bombing was you know, fresh in my mind, and it, it struck a chord with me. I still have a photo of a, a Marine bugler blowing taps that morning after the incident. And I kept it. I clipped it out and I, and I have it back home. And uh, it's just something that uh, I just figured if fellow Americans were out there willing to put their lives on the line and sacrifice, how could I not want to volunteer and be a part of that? There's always something bigger than yourself. And that's how I felt. You know, service to one's country is more than anybody can do beyond themselves. The most unselfish act that one can carry out. I love that
0: thought about being part of something bigger than yourself and just being focused on service. And, you know, we talk about being in the service, serving your country. I think a lot of times maybe we don't really think about why we use that word in relation to the armed services or the armed forces so much, but it really is an act of service a lot. And there's a lot of sacrifice required with a life in the military. I recently retired just about six months ago from my life in the armed services and many years in the Navy and then retired out of the Coast Guard. And I appreciate and thank you for your service as many people do to me. And I always know that's sometimes an awkward thing to get thanked for your service because as I'm sure you feel the same as I, and I, I won't project, but my feelings are that I don't do it for the gratitude. I do it for the love and for the sacrifice and for the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than myself, as you mentioned. And so that service really resonated with me. And having been to many of those embassies as I've traveled and done my international work, every embassy that I've been to has always had a marine contingency that guards that embassy. And they always do it with such devotion and respect and they truly do treat that embassy as if they're guarding the soil of the United States of America and they treat it with profound implications and i wonder as i think about that what does the marine corps do to embed within the marines the feelings of such deep devotion and respect that translates throughout all that they do to get even marines on a foreign soil to treat the embassy with such
1: devotion I think the first thing that's drilled into you is, you know, the Marine Corps motto, "Semper Fidelis." It's Latin and translates to "Always Faithful." And many of you, many, many of us who raise our right hands and choose to stand in those yellow footprints at Paris Island or, or, or San Diego, know that going in. Uh, that's an expectation. Once you're in the Marine Corps, it's reinforced with the traditions and the history of the Corps. As I always say, none of us who wear the Eagle, Globe, and Anchor want to let down those who served before us. There's a pride in that. There's a kinship with those that come before us, That their deeds, their sacrifices. They're not forgotten. And that goes back to the, the motto of always faithful. The pride of service. I don't think you can say there's a, an unprideful Marine. And so that goes without speaking, but it's the deeds, the sacrifices, uh, the accomplishments of those that come before us. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to be the generation You know, wearing that eagle globe and anchor that doesn't meet the standard or exceed it, you know, so to speak. So when those Marines are not just out there on embassy duty, guarding uh, the nation's embassy and soil, for that matter, uh, its interests, it goes wherever Marines go. Uh, I think the reputation of the Marine Corps is well known. I think it's well deserved. I think generations, no matter how much our culture, our society changes, uh, that transformation still takes place when they put their feet on those yellow footprints at uh, MCRD. Yeah, that's amazing that's
0: a- and you know, I had the opportunity to interview one of those marines that was taken hostage at the Iranian the embassy in Tehran and you know, he was just even after that ordeal of 444 days in captivity his love of the Marine Corps still waxed strong and you know, that says a lot in and of itself. Now, as you think about that. What are some of those traditions that took hold of your heart?
1: Yeah. Beyond the the book learning, um, it's, there's actually the application that you experience. I'm not going to say every duty station has great leaders, but you do run into those great leaders and they're so influential. They're so impactful. You know, A lot of times folks, and I'm not saying the Marine Corps, but people in general, they learn something and then they tend to Port it to themselves, keep it to themselves as if it's, you know, it's going to, you know, allow them to get ahead of the, the rat race. I have always been under the impressions of leaders who said, you know, if you, you know, something share it. It's something that, that I practiced and, and incorporated into my leadership style, which was, you know, it may have taken me nine years to put on the rank of staff sergeant. But if I can pass on to my Marines the knowledge and the experience, the the processes by which I problem solve and address issues or look at, persp- uh, consider different perspectives to help them get down the road a little quicker, individually, they benefit from it, but the Marine Corps benefits from it because it becomes stronger. You know, the ability, the efficiencies that, that that, that take place with those processes, you know, it, it's invaluable. You know, the knowledge you gained over years, and if you can, You know, somehow, you know, allow a a person who just joined the Marine Corps within a handful of years and they grasp it. Now, how much more effective are they for the Corps, for the country? And that goes back to always faithful. I mean, it's not about me. It's, It's about the Marine Corps. It's about the country. You know, it's one of the traditions that always, you know, resonated with me. You know, and one of the things I always said to myself, don't forget where you came from. There was a time when I was on a yellow footprints and I didn't know what was going on. And, and all the acronyms that we use in the military, I was like, what is that? I didn't want my younger Marines trying to sit there and figure it out for themselves. I wanted to empower them, give them that knowledge because knowledge is power. And uh, and I had the pleasure after retiring of watching my Marines. I'd get emails from time to time letting me know where they were at and how they were doing. And, and, uh, and it was very satisfying to know that they've they carried on the tradition. Uh, being successful and pass on to the Marines, maybe a piece of me, you know, lives in the Corps still today somewhere uh, because of what I was able to hopefully pass on.
0: Yeah. That's such a profound thought. And, you know, because that illustrates just how much you really do believe you're part of something bigger because it stop being about just you. And I think that's such a, an amazing application of the whole principle of servant leadership is that it's not about the individual. It's about helping all the individuals grow and progress together. And even that idea that you wanted to take your process and help others learn from your process to maybe even do it better or faster mm-hmm. or become more capable and because it helps that idea of being something part of something greater than yourself, whether for the the Marine Corps for the American taxpayers or the the country and but for any organization that if you have that mentality it's going to help the bottom line of an organization it's going to help that organization grow together and progress and when there's a the level of trust that flourishes in that environment to make it a reality because in the Marine Corps you have to learn to trust each other because you rely on each other for your lives and so the the trust that's required for that, it builds a brotherhood that you and I have talked about before. And yes. I've worked with Marines so many times and that brotherhood is so evident and it flows and sisterhood for those those sister Marines that we have out there. I don't want to leave you out in the cold. I know you're just as important mm-hmm. to our Marine Corps. And so the creation of that, that always faithful, that Semper Fi mentality it goes beyond just thinking about what can I achieve as an individual, but what can I help everyone around me achieve because I care just as much about their achievements as I do my own. And, you know, Len just showed us, you know, it might've taken me nine years to get where I am, but I don't want everyone else to take nine years. I want them to do better. And that's Mm. just amazing and beautiful.
1: Yeah, you know, and and, and I don't mean to, diminish the Marines that, that serve for, uh, with me and for me uh, or under me. But in, in a way, I looked at them as almost as my children, you know, the younger brother, younger sister, they come into the Corps with such great intentions. They want to do great things. It, that's the same reason why I joined and those that came before me. There was a reason you you came in. And you can't do that on your own. You can't. And, and so you have to recognize that And that's why I always say, I don't forget where you came from. And that's something that I would repeat to myself, because when that young Marine was over there asking the quote, dumb question, it wasn't dumb to him because he didn't know, she didn't know, they didn't understand. And so, yes, you're busy throughout the day, but part of your responsibilities is to them, is to grow that next generation. Because after I left the Corps, those Marines were still there and then growing through the ranks and becoming those leaders and making those decisions. You know, one of the things, you know, I think that uh, influenced me through the years, I, I read a book years ago, and it was entitled uh, Making the Corps. And uh, it just, sometimes when you're, you're in the forest, you can't see the tree. And that book, to me, taught me so much that I, I never even considered about the Marine Corps, how others viewed the Corps, the, how my peers and and those that came before me, how they glorified the Corps, you know, the pride that was there. And And I think that, you know, for those that desire that, they're willing to take that challenge on. They know it's not going to be easy. Marine Corps' reputation is well-earned and well-known. And yet, we have young folks that are willing to step up, raise that right hand, and go down there to MCRD and put those feet on the yellow footprints and take the challenge, knowing that they may not succeed, but they're willing to do it. And that's something that I... Used to convey to my young Marines all the time. I used to tell them, "Put a bullet on your chest, step out of the shadows, and let whoever take their best shot at you. Take on the challenge. Don't shy away from the challenge, because you'll never succeed unless you you step up and try." And many a successful people have failed, but those that get back up and, and and try and try again succeed. And I think that's part of the success of the Corps. You know, I think as you alluded to, you know, the, the leadership that is present in there. You know, one. You know, if the leader goes down, there's an expectation next man up, and that's and and every marine's a leader, just like every marine's a rifleman. Those are traits that we uh, they're ingrained in us, and we depend upon. And if you read the book Making the Corps, there's in the in the opening segment, it it talks to how this young lance corporal in Somalia is leading a patrol, and how the 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 Wall Street Journal reporter that's there who wrote the book is just amazed that. You know, the Marine Corps has such confidence in a young 21-year-old to lead a patrol and potentially make decisions that have, could have far-lasting foreign affair implications. I think it speaks loudly of what the Marine Corps provides to the country. And the, the lessons learned, every day is an opportunity in the Marine Corps. You have multiple opportunities to do great things, if you so choose. And I credit it with helping me develop uh, as a, not just as a as a person, as a man, uh, later as a husband and a father as well. The levels of responsibility that just resonated with me, you know, my accountability, not to myself, but to those around me, that I had a duty to step up, no matter how uncomfortable it was, you know, how no matter how, how inconvenient it is. Uh, and again, it goes back to that, you know, it's it's bigger than us because there are Marines who are no longer with us, who serve with such pride. And the core continues, but we don't forget. And I think when you become part of that line of thought and th- th- this organization, I still say this organization because I still love the Corps, always will. And uh, that will never, no matter what happens, it'll never change.
0: Yes, yes. And I think both Samson Cantu and Rocky Sickman, who, uh, who are also former Marines, guests on this podcast have also conveyed similar sentiment as you, Lynn. And they, uh, I think I've met a lot more Marines and they all echo the same sentiment. And so I can testify that these are not one-off examples. Over and over again, I see some of these same things. And one of the characteristics of servant leadership is commitment to the growth of people. And said, commitment to the growth of people. Servant leaders believe that people have intrinsic value beyond their tangible contributions as workers. As such, the servant leader is deeply committed to the growth of each And every individual within his or her organization, the servant leader recognizes the tremendous responsibility to do everything in his or her power to nurture the personal and professional growth of employees and colleagues. And I think the Marine Corps just embodies this principle throughout its core values, throughout the training that they do, and throughout everything they do to Facilitate what it means to be, have every Marine a leader. And I think that if we really looked at this, the example of the Marine Corps and more of our organizations, what true empowerment really looked like, we would have a lot more creativity. We would have a lot more freedom to exercise decisions. We'd have a lot more passion in our work because more people would have the fire to really go out and do. That we see in the Marine Corps that that author, Thomas E. Ricks, the author of Making the Corps, saw with that Lance Corporal. And so it's just phenomenal. Now, one of the things that you know I've learned talking with Lynn is that you know he is now working, you know, in his retired life working with the Marine Corps again. And he shared with me a, a story. And so I have pre, I have purview of knowing a little bit about his story of how he got back to the Corps, but I just think it's a phenomenal story. And so I thought it'd be wonderful for all all you listening to hear a little bit about that story because he, you know, after his retirement from the Marine Corps, he he went and did some other things and some great work out there. Don't want to belittle it or make it sound like it wasn't, but he found his way back to the Corps. And I just wanted to offer it up to Lynn, if you'd like to share with the listeners that story of how you let it known to your bosses, how you were going back to the Marine Corps.
1: Sure, Keith. As as you highlighted at the opening, uh, I retired back in 2006. And um, I transitioned out, I wanted to spread my wings and see what the civilian side was. Uh, I'd been a Marine for, you know, over 21 years and, and uh, Love the core, but again, the challenge. I wanted the challenge. I wanted to see what was on the other side. And so I, I joined a company and in, 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 in a business, and I was part of their, their management training program. And I did that for the better part of a, like about a year and a half. And then I received a phone call uh, from a friend of mine who was still wearing the uniform, still active duty guy. And he had uh, referenced that, hey, you know, uh, a master gunnery sergeant so-and-so who now works for so-and-so is looking for a retired or former marines that do this you know this type of background and i said well i i can do that and uh, so after a conversation with them and the decision was made to, that they wanted to bring me on board um, i kind of held that in because uh, companies a lot of times they know you're departing they'll they want to get a replacement in there so i kind of held, held it in and and my intent was to give them their three weeks notice uh, so they would have an adequate time but my uh, my manager at the time observed me a good trade, obviously, and said, you know, you're really in a good mood lately, Len. You know, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear that maybe you have another position, another job. And I looked at him. I said, well, I said, if I did, uh, I'd have to have certain assurances that I wouldn't be let go immediately because I have a family to take care of, obviously. And and I had to be strategic about this, um, not deceitful, but strategic. And he says, OK. So he talked to the general manager and they, they said, well, we'll give you the guarantees. And I said, well, I, I need to be here till April. And he says, okay. So they gave me a written guarantee. And I, you know, this is now about two months out, which gives them ample time to do a replacement search. And and uh, my manager says to me, he goes, if you don't mind me asking, wh- where are you going? Who are you going to work for? And, and he thought I was going to go jump over to one of the competitors. And I said, well, no, I'm, I'm going back to my family. And he looked at me and he goes, your family? I thought your wife and kids were here with you. I said, they are. I'm going back to my Marine Corps family, brother. And he looked at me and he goes back to your Marine Corps family. I said, listen, this is what I know. I love the Corps. I love being around Marines. You know, this is an opportunity that I just, I can't resist. I can't turn down. You know, I'd missed the Corps during the time I'd been retired. My wife and I would make trips down to Yuma, Arizona, just so I could be around Marines for an afternoon on a Sunday. Um, (laughs) It was kind of... I don't want to say pathetic, but it just was rejuvenating for me. You know, obviously, a lot of guys go through that transition when they separate from service, that it's not just a clean break. I know a lot of Marines that have retired that I've, you know, stayed in touch with over the years, and they've said similar things. It's just maybe there are some things you don't care to deal with, but there's other things that just just resonate in your soul. And as I used to say, you know, the Marine Corps is woven into the fabric of my soul. I I can't get it out just because I'm no longer wearing that uniform and no longer a part of it. It is my family. It always will be. Even when I see that young Marine where I'm, you know, I'm 50 plus years old now. When I see a young Marine, I feel a kinship there, you know, and I see a young Marine, you know, and I work with him daily and I see him struggle. Hey, sit down, devil dog. Let me let me talk to you. Here's why this is this done this way. And I kind of walk through it and I see the light bulb go off. Oh, okay, Mr. Houston. I get it. All right, good to go. So you know how to use that now, right? And I kind of feel sometimes I got to keep myself in check because I'm not wearing a uniform anymore, but I can still share insights, knowledge, experience that can help that young Marine be better for the core, be better for his leadership, his unit. And and in the long run, our country benefits. And that's the most important thing to me.
0: Yeah, there's so many great things about this story. And I want to start first with the interaction with the company you're leaving, because I think there's a lot of things that those of you out there listening can take from this, you know, especially we hear a lot about some bad HR experiences in today's world. And I, you know, I think this is a a wonderful model of how to do things right. You know, you have an honest and open discussion, you know, with some assurances in place so that you can prepare the individual and you can prepare the company to have a clean break. You know, so often we hear things about like quitting or, you know, just ghosting between HR or, or the employee, and just sitting there in limbo, right? And so none of these things help the organization progress forward. They don't help the individual. And I just thought this was a beautiful model of what a positive relationship moving forward looks like. Because now, Lynn, whenever he references that company, he's going to speak highly of them because he had a wonderful experience going out. So he'll speak highly of them. The company had plenty of time to also keep Lynn productive and also get a good replacement and on board and so you know that's a great model of servant leadership just when you have to find some somebody replacement and that's not even mentioning the fact that this this leader started this whole process because he observed that Lynn was acting differently and now we could explore the fact that of the fact that Lynn was now happy and that was the difference. There might be some things that the company needed to change, but we won't even go into any of that stuff, but that's a, you know, <laughs> that's a different talking point altogether, maybe a different podcast episode, but just wanted to highlight, those were some wonderful things that happened there. Just to say, you know, we don't need to have people quitting where they're just not productive, wasting up company resources and time because that hurts all the employees around them. That hurts so many different things. We don't need, you know, HR or employees ghosting each other because then it creates distrust beyond just the people involved. The other employees start to see that and then they might do those same things or they might have distrust about what's happening or they might not even be thinking about quitting, but they might read a situation wrong and start to have doubts about their place in the company. And then they start performing less And different things can happen. So clear and good communication will help your organization so well. So I just wanted to highlight because I thought that was a wonderful interaction outside of the story that was really great. And Lynn talking about going to his family and what we really strive for in a servant leadership organization is how people truly connect and really helping those grow. Because then Lynn gets to where he really wants to be. And he's really just pouring his heart and his passion into it. And, you know, you you see it in everything that Lynn talks about the Marine Corps and where he wants to be. And I just love it. And, you know, Lynn, you have this philosophy about always helping people gain knowledge and share knowledge that I think is just a beautiful philosophy. Would you like to talk to the listeners about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, Keith. I had made you know a military occupational specialty move, lateral move, it changed jobs, so to speak, in the Marine Corps. And this was during the first Gulf War, at the conclusion of the first Gulf War. Uh, the Marine Corps was downsizing. A lot of Marines unfortunately were left high and dry because I just there was you know Marine Corps was reducing the size of the force, budget cuts in those days, and uh, I was very fortunate to be able to be retained, but I had to change my job. As a senior NCO moving into a job, I was, I was a new guy in the block in the MOS. And, and so as I uh, went through the school and fortunately I blessed to be able to be undergrad, I've always tested well. Uh, I, I think that's more than anything else. Actual application might be a different story. But when I got to my first unit post retraining for this new MOS, I took a moment to step back and uh, you know, absorb my surroundings and uh, be of what was going on. And although I had a lot of Marine Corps leadership, you know, I was new in the MOS and, but I still felt like, you know what, I need to observe the, what's going on here. How's the, the section working? Who's the the strong, you know, the strong links and who's the weak links and where do I need to apply my knowledge, my influence to, you know, strengthen the weak parts and and reinforce the strong parts of, of the section. And so I developed a philosophy over the years uh, that, um, You know, and it's a, it's a strange analogy that I use, but, uh, for instance, you have a, uh, an individual who grows flowers and participates in these, these flower shows. And we've all seen these in movies and such, and they're all striving for the blue ribbon. And that one guy can sit there and pour all the, you know, the fertilizer and love and care into that one pot that grow that one flower. And he takes it to the show and, and, and it grows up and yeah, okay. He gets the blue ribbon. Great for that one flower. What if he took all that knowledge and, and energy and, and love and you know, and desire to grow and spread it on the side of a hill? And of course, you might not have as big a flower, but you'd have a whole field, maybe the side of a mountain, for, for instance. What's more impactful? What would more people see? What is the benefit of that? Because one of those or more within that field of flowers may end up growing up to be big and beautiful, just like that one. I know that's kind of kind of contrary to how you l- listen to Marines, you know, talking about flowers and such, but the, the, the point of the matter, the lesson to be learned is when you have knowledge, just don't keep it to yourself. Don't hoard it to yourself to glorify yourself. Share it. Let others benefit. Let others grow, you know, and of course of doing so, then you've actually done something of substance. And I've been in the field uh, on the side of the hill without the fertilizer and care, and that's uh, so why I always say, you know, don't forget where you came from. We all came from getting on those yellow footprints, you know, but along the way, I had plenty of leaders who shared and, and helped cultivate uh, that knowledge and, and understanding in me. And I just wanted to give it back. I wanted to pay it forward, as they say nowadays, and nothing warms the cockles of my heart that when I see a young young person, young Marine, taking those lessons that somebody passed on and just doing great things with them. It just, it makes me feel like the core is going to be around another 200 years, you know, because, and if the core is around 200 years, our country is going to be doing well. So.
0: I think it's perfect that uh, we hear a wonderful flower reference from a Marine. I love it when someone breaks a stereotypical mold and uh, and it's a wonderful reference. So I, I think it's great. I sometimes like to slip a, a purple calligraphy signed a uh, signature block in my outlook just to throw people off, just, just to get them thinking things. <laughs> like, we don't have to do things the way, you know, just because we think we have to do things the same way all the time. Just little things like that, I think, can spark our creative juices every once in a while. Um, we don't have to be all strict and, and block type print letters all the time, you know, little things like that. And I think there's a lot of value in sharing the knowledge we get to, you know, we we have limited budgets. Uh, we can't always send everyone off. And we wouldn't be good stewards of the taxpayers' dollars if we tried to send everyone to every training as government officials. So we have to be mindful of those things. And what a wonderful way to do it by allowing people to come back and then share that knowledge. And we also know that one of the ways people build their knowledge and enhance their knowledge is by training other people. So and actually we're, what we're doing is helping them further that knowledge by giving that knowledge to other people. And one of the things I've learned in my educational path is that people learn the most from the next nearest novice. We don't actually learn from the experts a lot. We learn from the people that are closest to our educational level. So when they share it to people that are close to them in their educational level, they learn even more. So it's a wonderful way to expound upon that knowledge they've just gained. And so I think it's a wonderful analogy. And I think you're right. That's where we see the, those flowers truly grow and expand to where everyone can see them. And that's where our organizations become truly great.
1: I think that, you know, the Marine Corps is is known for its rigidity, but the one thing Marines don't want is groupthink. Uh, it's one thing that we try not to cultivate. Of course, we have to adhere to the rules and regulations uh, that and the traditions, but we also value innovation, you know, and, and, and in doing this, you, you're really developing the organizational culture of the organization, the institution. Uh, which allows it to no longer be a static target, but it's and it's part of the perpetual change that's happening throughout the universe. Nothing stays the same, and we need to be mindful of that. And, and if we we can grasp that concept, we can adapt to the changing situation to stay ahead of it. And I think the Marine Corps has done a wonderful job of that, at least throughout my career and from my readings of the Corps. Marine Corps has always been on the cutting edge. It may not seem that way, but we had to be for many many decades. Now, we were the underfunded service. You know, we, we received our f- funding from the Department of the Navy. And although we submitted a budget, and maybe not everything was granted. And I remember when I came in in the mid-80s, early 80s, uh, we didn't have the best of equipment. General Gray did a great thing with transforming the Corps, but he also really put forward the future transformation of the Corps that even still extends today with the current commandant uh, and his vision of where he thinks the Corps has to go and and it is, it's innovative, but it's very reflective of our roots. And I think it's something that has to take place as the the world's changing. The world is changing, the threats to our country's changing, and we need to be adaptive to it to stay ahead of our adversaries.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's actually a mischaracterization of the Marine Corps that a lot of people think is that they're very rigid, like you said, And in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways, as a military organization, they have to be in a lot of ways. But of the military organizations, I think, you know, obviously I have a bias, but the Coast Guard um, and the Marine Corps are some of the more flexible thinking and agile organizations. And I was actually thinking as you were talking, I wonder if it has to do with their maritime orientation, because you have to be somewhat fluid when you, when you're dealing with such a fluid environment, no pun intended, but um, because, and you look at even going back to world war II and the, the tasks that were given to the Marines and what they had to do going island to island and different things and the horrific tasks they were given and the losses that they encountered and just the different things that they had to overcome. They had to be so agile to overcome those things. And, and they've, uh, my study of the Marine Corps and even the Marines I've met, they, you're right, group. Think is not encouraged because they want to be innovative they want to outthink their their enemy they want to be what is going to get the task done the quickest the best the the brightest ideas are honored and i've, I've seen that throughout my experience and so i'm glad you brought that up because i think we often outside the military this idea of military and rigid is very much a stereotype that's not always completely true
1: uh, that's correct i mean uh yeah, 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 there is a, sometimes in some of the services, there's a top-down approach. Um, in, in my experience, it's always been bottom-up. There's an expectation that you as the junior Marine, you need to step up. You're not just going to ride the coattails of those maybe above you. There's an expectation that you need to show you're capable and you need to put it forth. And and for somebody who, and I think if you raise your right hand and join the military, you're looking for something. You're looking to improve yourself yourself to challenge yourself, to, you know, maybe serve your country uh, because it's tradition in your family, or maybe it's something that you just feel a calling for. And so, and again, I'm only speaking of the Marines, but I think you do touch on something that's absolutely true is because of the the nature of the Marine Corps, the Navy, the, the, the Coast Guard, because of the environment in which we're operating, it is, nothing's for certain. And so you had to train to that and you had to Think in in terms of in the moment, so to speak, and not be looking to a set answer because circumstances will dictate. I'm currently in Okinawa, and we we're very mindful of what's to the to the west of us, and uh, with Taiwan and and Chinese and and uh, the threat that poses. I've been here during North Korea's missile launches, and it's not lost on us that we're a major target uh, of the North Koreans if that were to happen. And uh, it's very uh, evident that, uh, you know, the folks that are here, you know, they're just not sitting on their laurels waiting for something to happen. And, uh, and that's why I have uh, quite a bit of confidence and, and a sense of calm that, you know, I trust, you know, uh, the Marine Corps. I trust the United States military, but I, I trust that we're already ahead of it. I'm not saying it's going to be something that we can literally manage, but I think we're in better position to be able to deal with that. And if you think in terms of that and you you take it down to the lowest level, we have that same expectation of that young person. So if a young person out there is listening to this podcast who's a little bit intimidated or a little bit unsure about, unsure about the military, uh, I would say, you know, go talk to your recruiter. Go talk to some of those, those people that come home on boot leave or come back to be recruiter assistants and ask them, hey, what's the Marine Corps like? What's their, you know, whatever branch they're talking, what's it like? And I can almost assure you it's, not what you thought it was. You have a life, but there's purpose behind it. And that's what that military service gives you. It's purpose. There's a reason why you're here. It's not just a job, you know, and, and that's what resonated with me. It's just the sacrifice of those that came before us. It will always sit with me. You now, even still today, I mean, I I swore an oath for our country, and I still take that to heart. You now, and fellow Marines that are no longer wearing a uniform like myself, we we talk, you know, and we we still feel that love of country and core that it'll it will resonate to the day we die, and I think it lives through our kids because they get it, <laughs> whether they like it or not, they get it.
0: <laughs> very true, very true. Now, you know, I was just realizing, based on your time on the core, that um general krulak was one of the commandants while you're in there he's one of my personal heroes so i uh i have studied leadership for quite a while and he's just someone who just really resonated with me so i think during while this episode releases i'll probably find some videos of some of his speeches and slip them in as some of the prompts about the marine corps as well i just really love general krulak and some of his motivational speeches and stuff so just wanted to throw a plug in for that and uh one of the last questions we have before we wrap up today, I just wanted to, you know, he, Len mentioned that he's in Okinawa right now. He spent a large part of his career in Okinawa and he, is, he loves it over there. He's spent a lot of time. And I just wanted to ask you this one question before we close out today. You know, you, you talk about nothing being static and everything changing. And, you know, what have you learned from being over in Okinawa and their culture over there? And how has it helped you become a better leader from learning from another culture?
1: Yeah, um, I've been here so many years, not as closely because of that, but because of my wife. She's she's Okinawan. And uh, so I've had an opportunity to to really observe and think about what it meant to be Japanese you know, Okinawan, so to speak. And I saw some parallels as I was growing up in the core and 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 over here and as my marriage you know developed. And you know, there's there's parallels between Japanese culture and what the Marine Corps has: respect, honor, commitment. The level of commitment that Japanese have to their family, I can associate to what I see with Marines, to their fellow Marines, uh, to to the not just the Corps but the country. Honor. We always honor those who've come before us. You've heard me speak to that several times in this podcast. Never forgetting, and the respect. Even the lowest person is given. And I say lowest, I don't mean, you know, socially speaking, but in the in the hierarchy of the the rung of ladders of an organization, they're given respect. You know, the Japanese bow. They're very guarded with their words. And I think we can learn something from that. That doesn't mean we need to change who we are, but we should incorporate maybe some of that. A lot of that used to be in our culture, but we've kind of moved away from it and become more individualistic. But I think those who raise their right hand and, again, jump on those yellow footprints, that individualistic persona can still exist, but you take on a feeling that it's beyond you, again, bigger than you. And if, if you don't feel that, then you probably don't stick around much long, too long with it. But a lot of us do. Uh, I know a lot of Marines who make it a full career, and there's some who you know, reenlist and then decide to move on to bigger and better things, and that's fine. That's, that, that's perfectly fine because they're representatives of the Corps out there. They're probably down the street from you and you didn't even know it. And uh, if you got to talking to your neighbors and you might find out there's a Marine out there and listen to the, the lessons they learned. I think more times than not, it's going to be a positive lesson. Uh, they'll talk about the things that it gave them. And I think the uh, the means by which to to mature at, a, at probably at a quicker pace than their peers at that time and the opportunities it provided. It gives you just a different perspective on life. And so I I, I think that the Japanese... for me, there's a parallel there between what I experienced as a Marine and the lessons and the traditions and the customs of the Corps paralleled what Japanese have ingrained in their culture and and had had that for millennia. And it's just, uh, it's one of the things I enjoy about it. And they're just such a uh, kind, you know, giving people, but I know deep in their heart, there's a there's a there's a samurai deep in their heart, so to speak. The Japanese are well known from their their history that they can be fierce fierce warriors, and so we can learn from that. And I think we have as a Marine Corps. I think we have. Once been said, you know, you want the Marines to be, you know, uh, known as uh, no better friend, no worst enemy. You know, it's better to be our friend than to be our enemy. And 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 I think that sums it up.
0: I really love that. I really love those thoughts. And I recently learned some principles, some Japanese uh, principles, life principles. And I'll share one of those that I shared with my daughter today. And it's uh, Kaizen. If I missed that up, I apologize. But it's to always seek to improve all areas of your life because even small changes can add up and make a big impact over time. And I just absolutely love that. I just really appreciate you taking your time to be over here, be on the podcast. Lynn joining me all the way from Okinawa and now adding another country that we've We've recorded from, we're becoming quite an international podcast, which I love, just adding different viewpoints from around the world. Um, Any final thoughts to close us out with today?
1: No, Keith, I think that uh, uh, your podcast, I have listened to quite a few of them. And I think that, uh, you know, what you're doing is really great. I think it gives people an opportunity to, to really pause and ponder who they are, where they're at, things they can do to maybe improve their community, improve themselves uh, help others, you know, servant leadership. It's just something that we should all take a moment to consider where are we at with regard to that. And I I appreciate your podcast. I appreciate what you're doing, uh, not just for the podcast, but I I believe for, you know, for Americans or others who listen to the podcast, there's there's lessons that can be learned there to improve us as people and as a community. But so I'd like to say thank you for that.
0: Well, thanks, Lynn. I thank you for joining us and sharing your voice with others. And I thank you too for all that you're doing. And and I look forward to seeing more and hearing more from you. And thanks all of you for joining us. Please like, share, and subscribe, and rate the podcast because it helps others find it. So throw it in an email or a text and share it to someone who you think might benefit from it. And remember, the goal is to edify all because we want to connect people. Because as a servant leader, our job is to build and bridge communities and have a wonderful day.